Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from The Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we cover the story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. And now we're here to provide quick daily updates on Alec Murdoch's highly anticipated double murder trial in Colleton County. I'm Jocelyn Greshik, and I'm part of the team of reporters here at the Post and Courier who's covering the double murder trial of Alex Murdoch in Walterboro, South Carolina. And Wednesday today was a pretty big day in the case as preparations finally ended and the trial officially got underway. And our first major takeaway is that a jury was sworn in just after 1 p.m. today, and the jury is made up of 12 actual jurors and six people who will serve as alternates. And so sort of how that process broke down was this morning, a group of 122 potential jurors were asked to come back to the courthouse at 11 this morning to continue the selection process, which has been going on since we got here Monday. And after taking a roll call of everyone, 80 people from that group were randomly selected. And then Judge Clifton Newman allowed both the prosecution and defense teams to look over their lists of jurors. They identified as ones they wanted to strike from whatever the final panel would be. And this is a pretty standard process in which attorneys on both sides in any court case are allowed to strike jurors whom they don't want on the final panel based on their answers to the submitted questions that they could come up with at the beginning of um, whenever proceedings started. And typically the defense is given more strikes than prosecutors. After using up all their strikes, the defense team can even still request to have a juror removed, but they just have to um, give an explanation. And so in the Murdoch trial, the clerk of court then randomly began calling up individual juror numbers from that group of 80. And they presented each person first to prosecutors and then to the defense attorneys and, and, you know, gave each team the opportunity to strike as they saw fit. And the defense team ultimately struck six jurors from serving on the final panel and prosecutors struck three, according to our count of watching the live feed of jury proceedings. And so the final jury panel we found is made up of eight women and four men. And there are two people of color and 10 white jurors. And then among the uh, six alternates, there are four men and two women, and the racial makeup of that group is evenly split. So three white people and then three people of color. And we had reporter Thad Moore in the courtroom today, along with one of our photographers, Grace Beam Alford, and they were able to capture some of the emotion that Alec Murdoch displayed kind of as all this was going down. So they saw him conferring with his attorneys during the striking process. And then he also actually started crying after the final panel of jurors were sworn in and left the room. And it sort of happened after or 
that moment happened after Judge Newman was discussing a court order to seal particularly graphic evidence in the case. So this would be like photos from the crime scene or the autopsies depicting Maggie and Paul's bodies. And then after our lunch break, we listened to opening statements from both sides. So that kind of marked when things officially went underway. And a number of Alex's family members also arrived at the courthouse at this time to support him, including his remaining son, Buster, his sister, and his brothers, John, Marvin, and Randy. So it was a pretty big group there to who sat behind him to support him. And lead prosecutor for the state, Creighton Waters, delivered his opening statement first, and he really used his time to focus on Alex's purported alibi, which initially was that he was nowhere near the dog kennels the night his wife and son were murdered, but um, Waters said during his statement that cell phone evidence will disprove that, and he even revealed that a video featuring Alec was filmed by Paul just minutes before Paul and Maggie's phones locked down and, um, you know, they never sent any more texts or made any more phone calls, presumably because they'd been killed. And the prosecutor also revealed that about a week after the murders, Alec showed up at his mother's house, who has severe Alzheimer's, and he left behind apparently a blue raincoat, which investigators later discovered was coated on the inside with gunshot residue. And this was a piece of evidence that had not been disclosed in pretrial proceedings and motions or leaked to the media at any point. So that was a pretty big revelation. And then defense attorney Dick Harpootlian used his opening statement to really emphasize the gruesome nature of the shootings, um, focusing particularly on Paul's injuries. And there was one moment that was quite graphic when he described Paul's head as exploding like a watermelon and spraying brain matter all over the walls and floor of the feed room that he was shot in. And so that certainly gives a preview of the sort of evidence that jurors will have to see over the coming days when, you know, the crime scene is broken down. And he really emphasized, too, that to find Alec guilty of murder in this crime would therefore mean finding him guilty of executing his youngest son and wife in a really brutal fashion, which Harputlian, you know, told the jury just wasn't believable. And then he also criticized the state's case, saying that prosecutors are relying entirely on circumstantial evidence, which means, you know, and as Harbutlian pointed out, there are no eyewitnesses to this crime. There is no cameras that may have captured anything. And there aren't even any fingerprints that can link anyone directly to the murders. And Harputlian said also that according to evidence from cell phones and uh, Murdoch's car, he wouldn't have even had the time to commit the murders, get cleaned up, and then get in the car to leave to go to his mother's house, which is the alibi that he uh, had given at one point. Our reporter and photographer in the courtroom also noted that during breaks in the opening statements, Alec would sort of turned to his family and he had tears in his eyes and had a few brief conversations with his son, Buster. And he even appeared to mouth love you to him before flashing a thumbs up to his family and then finally leaving the courtroom. So that's sort of our big takeaways from the third day of this case and the first day of 
the trial actually getting underway with opening statements. And we're expecting for jurors to come back at 9.30 tomorrow to listen to the state's first witness. That's all we have for now. For more in-depth coverage of this trial, as well as the latest news on the Murdoch story at large, stay tuned to postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. You can find us on Twitter at Post and Courier. We would love if you could send questions, feedback, and tips to our Murdoch email address. That's Murdoch at postandcourier.com. And please also take a minute to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.